this is your first time here, welcome, welcome here. My name is Brian, I'm the pastor. And you're joining us on the second week of our studying the book of Ephesians. Um, this is chapter two we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to go through a very brief, just in case people weren't here last week, just a little bit of the context of this book, just so you have it. I'm going to try to be very brief. So if this seems fast, you can go online and find our message from last week, and we talk a little more about it. This book of Ephesians is a letter that was to the church in Ephesus. It was probably a circular letter, like meaning that they shared it with other people. And uh, it'd be like if you had a sermon recording of something and you shared that to your friend or something like that. Um, but it does kind of, it's, it's, it is addressing the people uh, in Ephesus, but it was also something that's for everybody else, including us, all these years later. Um, <clears throat> Ephesus was a big city in the Mediterranean. Paul had worked there for like three years, and Timothy was there. You can see parts of this in Acts and parts of this in the letters he's sending to Timothy while Timothy's there. Um, this is not like unfamiliar territory. Uh, in Acts, Paul Paul gets accused of uh, for like the for well we'll get into this a little bit later, but you know he gets in trouble there because they're casting demons out of people and people don't like that because some people have a business based around this kind of thing and so a riot is caused and so Paul has a history with this place. Paul's also writing this letter from prison. Okay, he's not writing this letter from like some sort of mansion that he got from his book royalties being a famous Christian and all, but not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, which is probably is. But the, uh, um, y'all need my wife in here today, so you laugh at things. I Joe, you're going to have to help me out. <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke. You think I'm funny? All right. Well, she's always up here. Everybody's going to like, can we laugh? And then when Carrie laughs, they're like, oh, it's okay. But she's teaching in the kids' church today. So, Anna, you're going to have to laugh. <clears throat> <laughs> No, Paul's writing this from prison, and not prison as we maybe imagine prison, but definitely um, he was under arrest, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit as well. So you have to keep that in mind. Paul's writing, everything he's writing to these people is coming from a guy who's currently locked up because of his faith, okay? So that color, that, that's an important uh, piece of understanding what he's getting at. And this is one of the, this is like the only letter um, that we see in like a lot of these books in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, and you have um, a big chunk of these other books are actually these letters, kind of recorded sermons or messages, to, you know, uh, that are to different places, and that's why they have the name, like Ephesians is Ephesus, you know, or Corinthians is Corinth, you know. And so uh, a lot of those have a lot of corrections in them, like Corinthians had a lot of corrections in it. You know, this one doesn't. It's just kind of some good instruction. And it's interesting because we are coming in at the end of the book of Exodus, and it's all about uh, how do we live as Christian people um, you know, we talked about that, like bearing God's name in vain. And this is a book that's almost like a ready-made guide to here's how to not bear God's name in vain as Christian people. And this is instructions. You know, we come from Exodus, which is a big story or a narrative. This is just instructions, like how to. Do you want? Do you, who want, who here wants to bear God's name in vain? Nobody. Okay, see, so that was kind of a trick. Yeah. <laughs> Some people were like halfway away. Oh no, no one wants to bear God's name in vain. This is a good guide of how to do that. And it's kind of broken into two big chunks. The first half is kind of what the gospel is, the gospel story, or we'll kind of call it doctrine. And the second half, chapters four through six, is like duty. Like, how do we live it out? You know, so we're still, we're on chapter two. So we're still in the kind of doctrine gospel phase of this whole thing. Um, and this chapter two has kind of two main chunks. You might see if you have a paper Bible or uh, if you look at it on your phone even, there might be a heading that kind of breaks these two chunks. They fit together. There's a reason people left them in the same chapter, if you will. But there's kind of two big chunks. The first, the, this one I don't have a slide for. The first one is about being saved by grace. And then the second one is about reconciliation. That's for today. So chapter two is the first chunk, saved by grace. The second chunk, reconciliation. So what I'm going to do is just read through it and make some comments as we go. A lot of this stuff, since it is kind of a guide 
just kind of is self-explanatory. You know what's going on, but I'll embellish every once in a while. And the end part of chapter one, which we didn't quite finish fully last week, he talks about everybody that like Jesus is more powerful than any other spirit, which was important to people in Ephesus because Ephesus, like I said, was a pretty demonic. They had a lot of pagan stuff going on, people doing magic and things like that and evil spirit stuff. And so he needed to make the point like Jesus is more powerful than all that stuff. Like way more. And so we're kind of coming at the end of that. You know, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. One other thing, different parts of the Bible, when you read them, sometimes you're like, I don't feel like I've ever heard this before in my entire life. This one's, this section's not like that. This has a lot of like greatest hits Bible verses in it. So if you grew up in the church at all, you're gonna be like, oh, I've heard this before. So this is, this is good. kingdom of the air and also even just things that people have used throughout history in uh um in like writing and stuff like ideas that you know the ruler of the kingdom like you find these things in poetry and stuff anyway whatever (laughs) the spirit who is not working those who are disobedient verse three all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's a pretty big, uh, you know, highlight verse. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would bless this time, this message, as we study your word, that we would hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Sometimes we can sit around in church so much that we kind of take that for granted, almost like we earned it or deserve it. Paul knows we might be thinking this kind of thing. He's like, and God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's kind of talking back to the end of chapter one. He's like, Jesus is more powerful than everything, and he's letting you sit there with him. You, of all people. (laughs) In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So this is is like super important Bible verse stuff for the whole Christian thing that we're doing. It's, It's had big you know, effect in history during like the Reformation and stuff like that. Like these are big time verses. This idea that what God has done, what Jesus has done for us is something that God chose to do for us, saving us from the from death and sin because he because of his great love for us is why he does this. And he does this for free and gives us this gift of life because he loves us. This is the best. This is the good news. This is when we talked about the gospel. This is the good news part of the whole thing. And we love the way it sounds until we don't. <laughs> because I know this because I have conversations with, with everybody and myself. It's like, you know, 
I've been living this way, why is this thing happening in my life? That kind of thought process indicates that you don't like this sort of thing. Because you think, God, like I should put in my good stuff and I get out good stuff. Like, like almost like I paid him, you know, like I can pay, I can pay for this, you know, and you'd be like, well, I'm not talking about salvation. I was like, I know, but it's, this is kind of how this, we tend to think. Guys especially, and I'm not saying, because I, I mean, I'm there with you. You know, like, I like to pay my own way, all right? I want to like, I don't need your help. I don't want you to do things for me, you know? And so you're like, God, give me the list. I'll get it done, right? You know, give me the list. I'll do the things and we'll be good. You and I will be good. And he's like, you can't do the list. <laughs> That's not how this works. I've given you a gift. Do you want it? And you go, well, I mean, can I pay you back? I mean, can we get like a, you know, I'll take it, but then I'll pay you back so I don't owe you anything anymore. And he's like, no, that's not how gifts work. That means you bought it from me and you don't have the money to buy this kind of thing. It's a gift. And we just talked about spiritual gifts a couple weeks ago. You know, gifts are the kinds of things that you don't deserve and you, you can't demand either. It's literally given to you because God loves you. And you need to think about that. That needs to be the foundation of your understanding of the entire world that we live in. God loves you so much that he does this for you. And then he doesn't do it just for nothing. Like, he does it because he loves us. And we go, well, what am I supposed to do then? Like, if you're a guy like me, well, what am I supposed to do then? He's like, he literally has this in here. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Every single one of you in here, God has things for you to do, real important things in this world to do. And he's planned it. He's not like, I don't know, we'll think of something. Just come on and we'll, you know, he's got it worked. He knows what you need to do. And there's people counting on you to do those things. And we tend to, in these areas, romanticize, well, like, I'll get my fulfillment through my occupation, you know. It ain't going to happen, you know, even if it's like, well, I'll earn a lot of money and I can give it away. It's like, like, there's nothing wrong with doing it. We all need to do this stuff. The point is you can't get fulfillment from that that you're, that you're seeking. That only comes from the gift. But then you work from that understanding of that gift and you do all kinds of good things. So you either, like, romanticize work or you, uh, like, only think in church terms. Like, so what, am I like, I'm supposed to be a preacher like you then or something? I, I'm not going to do it. It's like, no, like, that's not it at all. You know, what God has is for all of us daily real work. I mean, Jeff and I were even having a conversation about this. Depending on your eschatology and understanding of the end of the world and God remaking a new world with work to be done in that world as well. Because remember when Adam, when God created the world, there was work to do. He invites us as people into his work, which is a very interesting thing to think about. It became marred with creation. But in God's new creation, there's work to do that he invites us to be a part of. There's a good chance whatever your job is might still exist. Mine probably won't. I mean, look, just to be honest, I mean, like, I was like, it dawned on me one day, I was like, my job has a date on it where it doesn't need to be done anymore. But everybody else's job, you know, kind of keeps going for eternity, maybe. Not if you hate your job, you, you have to hear this clearly. You soon as... <laughs> You're not going to be stuck there for the rest of your life, necessarily. But my point is, there's real work to do that God wants us to do. And we need to not um, only uh, think in terms of churchy stuff. You need to think, that how is God with you in your work that he has for you to do? He's prepared this in advance for us to do. 
And I don't just mean job either. I, mean, I think you understand what I'm trying to say, and I'm just not doing a very good job of saying it. It's not just an occupation. It's not just, but it is what you spend your time doing. God has things for you to do, and people are counting on it. But it's in a response to this grace that God's given us. And then we move into the second section. This one I want to spend a little more time on because I think it needs some context. Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by human hands, which he sticks in there. Remember that at the time you were separate, that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, you now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That brought near by the blood of Christ, that's sacramental, that's Passover language again. And also, you know, like temple and tabernacle language about the blood and all. For he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the dividing barrier or destroyed the barrier dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. There's that word again. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, that's Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, that's Jewish people. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So this is an interesting subject, and it seems like a big deal to Paul. And you might be saying, why? And I'm going to explain that. This is the context I think that you need to see, because what he's doing is saying through what Jesus has done, there is now one new body of Christ that includes Jews and Gentiles, which was formerly impossible. And this is a very important thing to Paul, because he has, uh, like I said, he was writing from prison, right? Let me tell you the story behind this. He's talking about a dividing wall of hostility. When you look in the Old Testament, there was the temple that we just talked about, and the tabernacle was the tent version. Then they built the temple version. Solomon finishes it. There was different sections of it. In the original version of it, and you see um, there was the Holy of Holies, which was like God's space and the holy place, which was for the priests, and then there was the outer court, which was for everyone to come and worship. And you even see Solomon, I'm going to read this uh, later, where he's kind of dedicating that during the prayer in 1 Kings 8. And he's asking for people from all over to come, you know. But then by the time Herod's temple, like so the Jewish people get into exile, they come back, they're rebuilding the temple and things are happening. And, like, and then you have, the, like, by the time Paul is around, what we would call the temple, Herod's temple, had the Holy of Holies, the Holy Place, and then that outer court. But that outer court was divided into different sections. And those different sections, um, from what I was reading, the, the best case that people made for it was that in order to keep up with the purity laws, it, it, it just maybe made sense to have some of these divisions so that people didn't accidentally break them. But that's the best case scenario. They don't actually know why. There was these extra divisions in this court, this outer court, and it looked like this. You had the Holy of Holies for God, you had the Holy Place for priests, and then you had the court for Jewish men that only Jewish men could go to. Then you had a court for Jewish women, 
that only Jewish women could go to. And then you had a court for everybody else. And that's the, the temple that Paul was familiar with, which is slightly different than what God had described and how it had been worked out before. And there was signs at that barrier where that, the, the Jewish women part started. And they have some of these. Like archaeologists literally have found a couple of these. And they have them, I think, in, there's one in Turkey or something. Signs that would say something like, any, per, any Gentile person that crosses this threshold will be killed and, there will be respons- like, and their blood is on their own hands. Like, we told you you can't go in here. You can't come in. And if you do, you will die. And it's your fault. Which is pretty intense. And uh, that is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about a dividing wall. And you say, well, why does this matter? Why would he still don't quite get why he's bringing it up so much? Well, here's the deal. I told you that Paul had been in Ephesus and Paul had been in Acts. Like in the book of Acts, you can read it. You might remember we read through this a couple years ago. Paul is ministering. God himself has called Paul to be this uh, minister to the Gentile people, to the nations, because the first disciples are all Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. And then they, they, they come to realize throughout the book of Acts that this message of the Savior, the Messiah of Israel, is the Savior of the world, the whole world, not just Israel, which was surprised to some people. And they had to kind of come to terms with that. And Paul gets chosen by God to be the main person to be sharing the gospel with non-Jewish people. And they had to figure out, like, how to do some of that stuff because there was still a temple and there was things going on. And so Paul was working with all sorts of different people. And Paul would have some Jewish people that would work with him and some Gentile people that would work with him. And he would kind of put people on an equal playing field and, you know, through what Jesus has done and all this kind of thing. Well, then Paul shows up in Jerusalem in like Acts 19 or 20. Let me see. 21 and stuff. Because he's coming back from Ephesus. He's going to Jerusalem. And Paul knows he's going to get arrested. God tells him. Other people prophetically tell him. It's important that he's hearing from God because he knows, I'm going to get arrested. He doesn't know exactly why, but he's like, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. My job is to do the work, the good work that God has for me to do. I mean, I think, I might get, I think I'm going to get arrested for doing it. But he doesn't know why. He shows up in Jerusalem, and he's, um, um, the, the, he's telling them about all the stuff they've been doing. And the other, the other Jewish believers are like, hey, look, man. There's a lot of Jewish people here that really don't like you, like, at all. And so they're thinking that you're telling people to stop being Jewish. So here's what we're going to do. You need to go to the temple. There's some people that need to go through a purity process. You, we're gonna, why don't you help them do that so that other people around here can see that you're still, you're still Jewish and you're not against Jewish people. You know, being for Jesus didn't make you anti-Jewish. You see what I'm saying? And so Paul's like, that's not a bad idea. So he goes to do this. But then some of these people see him coming out of the temple. And they know some of the guys he's working with are Gentiles. So they, have a, they concoct this thing that one of the guys from, from Ephesus named Trophimus with Paul. He's a Gentile guy. They're like, hey, Paul, we saw Paul take that Trophimus guy past that sign that said he's going to die. He did that. Because he's trying to be anti-Jewish or whatever. We should kill him. And then they try to. And then this whole thing starts where Paul, you know, Paul gets, there's like a mob and they're going to kill him. And then Paul's like, whoa, whoa. And like these other guys come in and go, hey, there's a mob. So they try to stop it. And they're like, what are y'all charging this guy with? What's going on? And then Paul, Paul's smart. He knows I didn't do what they just said I did. But you know what? I got a whole group of people here listening to me. I should probably tell them about Jesus. And then so he starts. And in Acts 20, 22, you can see 
Paul's like, let me tell you what I'm doing. And Paul's not a dumb guy because he immediately, you can see he's speaking different languages to different people. Like Paul, he uses his Roman citizenship to, so, but he starts speaking to the crowd in Aramaic, which is like the, literally the language Jesus himself spoke. And they're all like, oh, he's speaking in Aramaic. We should listen. And he lays out this whole thing, telling them this whole story of how, guys, guys, come on, like, you want to talk about being Jewish? Like, look at me. I'm like the most Jewish guy you've ever seen. And I've done all these things. He goes, and you want to talk about like Christian people here? He's like, I was killing them. So don't try to come at me with like your arms. So, you know, he's like, been there. He's like, but then I was walking down the road to go, you know, arrest more Christian people, which like, I'm sure all of you really bold people have been doing. And then Jesus himself showed up to me and I was like, what's happening right now? And he's like, well, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, well, who are you? And he's like, I'm Jesus. He's like, oh man, you know, and then he tells him this whole story of God blinded him and then this guy heals his eyes and then he's been sharing the good news and everybody's like, this is not, maybe I had it wrong, this guy. All the way till he gets to the last line, he's like, and that's why God has called me to be sharing this good news to the Gentiles. And then the whole crowd freaks out again and turns back into a mob. And then they go like, okay, and then they, and it starts to move up the chain of command, kind of like what you see with Jesus when Jesus is arrested. They're like, everybody's like, I don't want to be the guy. You be the guy. You're more important than me. You be the guy. And, and every time Paul's kind of playing the situation, and they're like, well, let's just beat him up. Maybe if we beat him up, they'll let him go, and they won't care anymore. And Paul's like, do you always beat up Roman citizens without, like, a trial? And they're like, ah, hey, he said he's a Roman citizen. We can't beat this guy up. And then, like, and then the, guy comes, the in charge guy comes over, he's like, Hey, you say you're a Roman citizen. That cost me a whole lot of money. What'd you do? And he's like, I was born a Roman citizen, which makes him like way more Roman than that guy. And he's like, dang it. What so it keeps going up. Point I'm making is when I said Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, this is why. Because he kept playing the game of like, yeah, take it up to the next level. And every time he would take it up to the next level, he would be sharing the gospel with people. And you can see in other letters where Paul's like, guys, don't worry about me. I'm good. Like they keep putting me in prison in, in human prison, in limiting prison, they think they're stopping me, and I'm getting all these prison people saved. Like, now, like, this whole group over here is saved, and you can read more of the story. You know, it's, human prisons don't stop the Holy Spirit's work. We only just think they do. But Paul's reminding us, <laughs> you, can't stop, you can't stop it. It's like, you don't need to worry about me. So Paul's writing a letter to the Ephesians, and he decides to make this really big point about this division between Jews and Gentiles. And everybody that's hearing this more than likely knows exactly why Paul's in prison. So he doesn't have to tell that whole backstory that I just did because they all lived through it. And that Trophimus guy, like, we know him. It'd be like Joe. If Joe was like, yeah, yeah that's, we, we know him, you know. <laughs> he was involved even, you know. And so, um, so Paul is telling them this is a super important thing, that, this, that what I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to open this, what I'm doing, Paul meaning I'm doing, sharing this good news with everyone is literally what God wants us to do. We just sang, the ears of all men need to hear of the Lamb who was crucified. And he's like, that's what I'm doing, guys. I'm going all the way to Rome with this thing, you know. And you guys keep getting hung up on this wall, of this dividing wall. There's one new body, and we're all part of it through Jesus and what Jesus has done. And then he goes on to this. 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. He's talking to the Gentiles now. And also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you are being built together to become the dwelling by which God lives in which God lives by his spirit. Now, gosh, he just jammed so much stuff in there. He's talking to Gentile people, and he's quoting the Old Testament and like four, or refer, alluding to it in like four places that all the Jewish people would know. And then he's talking about the temple of God, the holiest thing. And he's saying this new temple, which is the temple Jesus was talking about, is us, like the body of Christ. The temple and the body are like the same. And this is now the thing that God wants to put his spirit in, which Paul has been living out, and we've been reading, we see in the book of Acts, that God's put his spirit that was in this place, which we just went through the tabernacle. I think I have a picture of, uh, this is like a rendition of the tabernacle. Like that was the tabernacle version, not the stone temple, but the tabernacle temple, you know. And God's presence coming. You saw that at the very end of Exodus. It was like, and God's spirit dwelled there in like fire, lightning-y stuff. You know, like probably, I was still th- I was thinking about this. It's like, it might be that God's presence was still having some sort of effect on matter that looks like smoke and I don't know. I don't know how it works. But God's saying that presence, now I'm putting in the new temple, which is all of the people who are bowing the knee to Jesus, which is us. He's like saying, I want to put that spirit in you. And you can go like, well, sure, cool. But it's like, no, no, that, that thing, you know, and there's only one temple. It's not like, you know, well, there's this one, and there's like the good one and the, the less one. It's like, there's one, one body, and he's, it's held together. Jesus himself is the cornerstone. And I have all of these references here, and I'm just not going to read every single one of them. I'll just tell them to you. First Kings 1, 8, 41 through 43. Solomon is inviting everyone, and he's praying for the temple, but he invites everyone. And when he talks about those who are foreigners and strangers, it's referencing that, and they would know that. In uh, verse 20, he's referencing Isaiah 20, 16, with Christ the cornerstone. And then this is the other thing that Jesus quotes uh, this same Isaiah 56, when he's cleansing, when Jesus is in that outer Gentile court when he's turning all the tables over. He's like, this isn't even supposed to be in here. This is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. He's like, this is what I've been working towards. And you see, when Jesus is talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, she's like, well, you guys say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We say we're supposed to, like, what's the big deal? You know, and Jesus is like, yeah, okay. He's like, but Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. This is what he's alluding to, that we're moving towards a place where God's people are going to be spread all over the whole world and his spirit is going to dwell within them. That's the new temple. And Jesus is the cornerstone of that temple. Or when we talk about the body, he's the head of that body. And that's the whole deal. But I want to help us apply this in one way that will probably bother every single person in this room. So I apologize ahead of time, but I'm trying to help us see, okay? And when I say see, I mean spiritually see. This is the ultimate wall of hostility that, like, it's, this is a spiritual, ethnic, this is religious, and Paul, his whole ministry is dedicated to helping fix this thing, this dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And you're probably going, I'm good. I don't hate Jews or Gentiles, like, whatever, you know? I'm all good for that. We just prayed for Israel. We're cool. So let's go get some lunch. You know, my, <laughs> the reason I need to help us see this is because we can do that. And 
ultimately, yes, this is about that, but it's about that and everything that would come after it. That being kind of an ultimate example. You follow what I mean? And every other lesser example of walls of hostility in our lives are keeping us from God. And this is what, I looked up hostility, and it's defined by hostile, which would be antagonistic. That's why I put it down there. Hostile behavior, unfriendliness, or opposition. And the question I have, and I want you to ponder, is who do you have a wall of hostility toward? Because it's probably not Jews or Gentiles. That's like stuff we, you know. But there is probably some group, some people. And what I'm telling you is that group of people is, don't, don't get ahead of me now. You <laughs> Andy's a little, I, I decided to help us all. And so I made a word cloud of, of hostility of words that might help you find this group pretty quickly. And I tried to Google some things, but go ahead and put my cloud up. And I'll just let you read it. These are words that might provoke you to find the, uh, the group that you have a wall of hostility toward. I tried to be even-handed. Tried to be even-handed. So now I know that everybody's uncomfortable. I just felt the oxygen suck out of the room. <laughs> you already knew that. You don't have to, like, don't act like I, I just brought it up, all right? And I'm also not trying to say we should all agree about all these things. What I am talking about is the wall of hostility. It's obvious that you can't go, well, let's try to sit here and make this group all into one sort of happy family that we can, it's not gonna happen. The point is the wall of hostility. Because in this body of Christ, in this temple, in other places, you can see, Paul's not saying Jews and Gentiles are just the same. Or that in another list, he's like Jews and Gentiles or men and women. He's not saying men and women are the same, meaning there's no difference between men and women. Or that he's saying it doesn't matter anymore because of what Jesus has done. And so what we do, the reason my list here is, I think this is dialed into, go back to just the cloud, because I don't think we're getting to, there, okay. So <laughs> the reason it's mostly political is because in our day and age, you all know this, these political things are what the enemy uses for us to, to put up these walls of hostility. I'm not saying you have to agree with the person that you disagree with, but you can't have a wall of hostility towards them. And the reason I'm bringing this up so acutely is because not only do we all do this a lot, for some reason we're like really proud of it. Like not only do I want to have a wall of hostility towards you, I'll use Joe because, you know, towards Joe. But I'm also going to like post some stuff about how much I have a wall of hostility towards him. As some, yeah, I know. He doesn't like, so he doesn't like me either in the comments section. No, but so there's this like, you know, I'm, not only do I have hostility, which I would, in our day and age, I think we would usually like to find it as legitimate hatred towards whatever that group is. And so, I mean, can you blame me? I'm good. That's why I hate the bad people. And... I'm going to make sure everybody knows that so that I get, a, you know. Now, I could have skipped this part and just left it alone. I'm trying to help you see, all right? I'm not trying to put, and I'm also not saying I don't do this. I was reflecting on this, and <laughs> there's been a couple times, not too recent, like where I felt like in Jurassic Park, there's a part where he's watching them on the, um, this is another Jurassic Park reference, where he's watching them, and he's like, are we actually going to ever see any uh, dinosaurs on this tour? And then he looks at it, and he's just like, I really hate that man. I've had that thought in my head not too long ago. What I'm telling you is we can't live like this as Christian people. We have to tear down this wall of hostility. And if you say, 
It doesn't seem like that big a deal to me. I'm just telling you you're wrong, and I'll get to that in a second. It's not only because... Um, Well, here's the thing. I know some of you are thinking this, so I'll just go ahead. I was going like, to address this or not. You're, I, I know that you're thinking, aha, I got what those pe- the Jews and Gentiles were both in the body of Christ. Some of those people on that list may not be, so I can hate them, right? No, you can't. You don't get any out-of-jail-free card. You have to love them. This is the same thing we were just reading about the gift of Jesus. That because he loved it, he, because he, while we were yet sinners, this is in Romans, which is the same thing, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we sit there and forget just the political stuff for a second. I think there's a lot of us that have hostility, walls of hostility towards people we actually know for reasons that are completely unpolitical. Some of them might even be because of wrong things they've done to us. Some of these things are just wounds people have done to us, and because of that, we hate them. And I'm not saying that, that I'm not trying to say those wounds aren't important. And I'm also not saying that, uh, I'm not saying anything about that value judgment. They're terrible. People doing terrible things is harmful and it hurts us. And God cares about that. What I am telling you is Jesus, Lord Jesus, all hail King Jesus, is telling you, you have to forgive them. And it's not just because, and it, it isn't because they deserve it, okay? This is like the gift that we get from Jesus. We give to them. They do not deserve it. Okay? He's telling you this. This is also a gift for you. It sounds like, well, what am I letting them off the hook? Because they're, you know, and you're like, no, you're not letting them off the hook. You're saying, I choose to forgive you because of what Jesus has done for me. And you don't realize that that will free you as well. And I could have skipped all this, y'all. I'm just telling you because it's, it's this important. But I really think that what we end up with is prejudice also is is uh like because those legitimate that's really un, that's forgiveness it's related it's not exactly the same thing really what this is talking about is prejudice that i'm going to judge a group of people by something and then have this wall of hostility towards them and what ha, what god i had this so justin come on up here i had this experience we talked about the asbury revival um a lot the last couple months we're in Asbury University. God just moved in this powerful way. And Jeff happens to live across the street. So me, Kevin, and Asaf went up there. And God did some powerful things in my life. And I'm going to share this. Um, I, I don't think anybody in this room knows any of the people in this story. So it's not, it doesn't matter, okay? It doesn't matter at all. And it doesn't, don't even ask me because it, it just doesn't matter. But the point is, through some strange set of circumstances... When I heard from Jeff, who was telling me, God's doing something, you might want to come check this out. I, I said, yeah, like, yeah, I do. And, but just through some strange set of circumstances in my own life, I have a pretty good rapport with most people. Me and Joe actually like each other. But, like, you know, the, uh, I don't have a big problem with very many people in my life, you know. And there's a couple people. That, so somehow, long chain of events, there's, like, two people in my life that... I was like, I don't really want to see these people ever again, probably, you know. And if I sat down and told you, you'd go, well, I could understand why you feel that way, you know. And I didn't want to see them. And I was fine not seeing them. I was fine with them knowing God. I'm like, great, you know, I'm, I'm happy for you. I just don't want to hang out, all right. And um, I don't even really want to talk about it too much, you know. Strange set of circumstances. When I talked about going up there to visit with Jeff, 
and see this thing where God was moving, somehow there was a good chance that both of those people would be there. And it's a very strange set of circumstances required to cause that, but there's a good chance both of them would be there. And I found myself sitting there going, great, they ruined it. Like, I really needed to touch God. I needed to have this touch from God. I needed to go. And there are these, these guys. There. I don't want to talk to them. And I started wrestling with the Lord, and I had some conversations with people that the Lord led me to talk to, and they were the right people. And God spoke something to my heart, because I was already looking at the book of Ephesians, and I was already looking at things like this dividing wall of hostility. And I realized this to be true. What I'm going to tell you is, is not in the Bible, but it's biblical, meaning that this is based on. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against you. And Jesus' commentary on that in Matthew, he's like, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. We like to imagine that we can just kind of uh, have problems with people and that that's somehow cool. What God showed me was this. This is my biblical but not in the Bible phrase. You can only get as close to God as you are willing to go with the person you like the least. And I am sure this is true. And we like to be like, well, what about, what about, what? you can do this all day and I invite you to do it. You, you ask God. Ask God if that's true. And then... When he starts to do things, you're going to have to, you're going to have to have responses. The long story short is God dealt with me on these things, and it, it's good. It's, not, it's nobody's business, so I won't go into it. But I had to go from being really upset about the fact that somehow both of these people were going to be there to, you know, being excited about that. And that's not something I can do. That's something God had to do. And there was a part where I had to say, like, God, I know you're right, so help me because I can't do it. Um, and I don't want you to be held back the same way that I was being. That's why I didn't skip this part. Especially when it's something as stupid as the cloud list that I made. And I want to say very clearly, most of that, most of the emotional energy that we put into that is literally stupid. It doesn't matter. It isn't going to convince anybody. It's actually some sort of weird addiction to, I don't even know. You know, I could give you some books to read if you want. But like, it's unhealthy. It does nothing. It's stupid. It's a waste of time. What I see is the enemy, uh, people standing up and taking, you know, and you can even take the Christian version of it. I'm standing up for righteousness and you're not. You know, you're just labeling it that so you think it works. And the enemy is laughing at us laughing at us because we are the people that God has given this gift to, the, the only thing to set people free. And he's got us caught up doing nothing and yelling at each other and thinking we're all, you know, doing all this thing. Meanwhile, there's people literally dying of drug addiction, maybe like in our neighborhood, and we don't have time to care because we care too much about the stupid thought cloud. And the enemy's laughing because he's like, I don't even have to, I don't have to, I don't have to fight them. They're fighting themselves. Like, it, it doesn't even matter. They've eliminated themselves from the equation. And I want to show you this in one illustration. I need two youth to come up here and help me. Really quickly. Amy, come up here. All right.
Is that a phone you just threw? Somebody doesn't buy their own phone. I won't say that. <laughs> what? I know. She's a goalie. My, do- my daughter's a goalie, so it worked out. All right. So, Emily, you're going to be God in this picture, okay? So, you get to be the bad person. So, this is a metaphor, okay, guys? Just This is to help us see it clearly. Actually, I say see it clearly, and then I have to stand in the way. Come up here, Em. Yeah, stand back there. So, Emily's God, and I'm me. And Olivia's the person I don't like, so you come over here. And so... I'm saying, I want to I wanna be with God. I want to know God more. I want God to move in my life. I want to touch God. Every, and I want to, and then, but this person, I really, I really don't like this person at all. So I think what I'm going to do is, you're too tall. It won't work. Well, let's, okay, yeah, perfect. Okay. My dividing wall of hostility is over here. Now it's just me and God and we're good. This is how we imagine this kind of thing works. And we might even think it's good. I got this person, you know, whatever. But what's really going on is, go stand over here. And you can see this. I didn't have time to work it all the way out in all the verses, you know, but especially in the first half where he talks about the gift he's giving to us and what he's doing and why he's doing it and when he did it because of his love for us. What's really going on is I, when I put that wall up, I really am doing this. And I can show you other places in the Bible. You know this is true. Like I, I feel like I have to convince everybody. You know this is how this works. And I'm telling you, this wall of hostility that you defend is keeping you from experiencing God. And I have no idea what it is. I have no idea. Some of you I might have an idea. Most of you I don't have any idea. But we need to lose the wall. This is what I'm trying to say. Because the only way for me to get to God is for us to go together. So, thank you. Thank you for being God. So. So I'm going to invite you. I know this is Mother's Day, and I know this is like a really weird way to end, and I I know all of that, but I kind of don't care. Some of you need to, before you go to lunch with your mom, which, you know, that's great. Do this. You need to do this. You need to deal with this wall of hostility. God's probably brought it up to you, and he wants you to deal with it. We have people that are up here that will pray with you about this subject. I'll be up here. But during this last song, don't just sit there. Deal with God and deal with this thing because it's only hurting you. Well, I can't, I know it's hurting you. It might be hurting other people too, but it's time for it to end because God has chosen to tell you right now from his word that he wrote thousands of years ago that it's time for that to go. And I don't want it seeing, holding you back anymore either. But you might, but like me, this isn't something you just, just you know, you, you, there is a decision in it, but it's something God has to do in your heart. So what we are saying is let's just stand. I'm going to pray and then invite you to come forward to pray if you need to. God, we are surrendering to you that we do have walls of hostility towards others. And I ask that you would come mercifully just the gift that you've given us in the salvation through the blood of Jesus, that you would give us the gift of forgiveness. Help us to forgive those who've trespassed against us. As we, and uh, I also pray that you would help us to repent of having these walls I pray that you would forgive us, that you would restore us, that you would help us to be people of restoration. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, move mightily in our lives and in our church and in our families, especially in places where there's legitimate pain. I pray for healing 
of the Holy Spirit to flow through this place in Jesus' name. And while Justin and while they're singing, come forward and spend some time with God and let's pray. The altar is open and there's people to pray with you.